sharing Jesus without fear. It's about our faith, folks. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is a very, very central theme in what you and I are all about. But the concept of faith is not so simple. It's somewhat complicated. And in order to examine it and learn about it, sometimes we would do well to pay attention to the wisdom of little kids when it comes to the subject of faith. We want to give you a sampling of a children's a wise perspective on the subject of faith. Take a look at this video. You'll see what I mean. Okay, guys, what is faith? A uh, faith is... It's kind of like a... Uh, uh, could you hold the camera? I just need to think. Faith. Faith. Faith is when you have courage to do something and you do it and you believe you can do it. Uh, um, if you like think that you can't do something, but then you believe that you can do it. It's when you believe something before you see it. And you're obeying God. Is that right? Or is that the wrong answer? Faith is believing without seeing. You can feel it and you can see it in your head before you um, see it. Um, believing that something's going to happen and trusting God. Faith is believing in something that you cannot see, feel, or have any way of seeing it. Well, you can actually see it, but I mean like you can see it. Having faith is like seeing it in the future. So there you have it. <clears throat> I'm not sure I could improve upon it, but I believe the writer of Hebrews, which we have been referring to as the letter of better, can maybe fill in some of the blanks about faith somewhat better even than these wonderful children. And uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight, the subject of faith by the writer of Hebrews, letter of better. Uh, as given to us in chapter 11, a chapter you're all, uh, most of you, very familiar with. We're going to look at chapter 11, verses uh, 1 to 3, and in it I think we'll see that the writer is making the point that faith is even better than sight. And so uh, that's what we'll examine tonight. Before we do, let me ask you a question, however, uh, and, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything, just wiggle your toes. Um, do you believe that um, God created the universe? <clears throat> My guess is that most of you are, are wiggling your toes. Maybe not everybody here, but um, the vast majority, I would guess, would answer in the affirmative, yes, I believe that God is the explanation for what is. He's the creator of that which has been uh, created. And, and I agree with you. But then I want to ask this question. How do you know that to be true? Because in fact, as I look around, uh, my guess is not a one here was there at the time. So therefore, if you're saying I believe God is the creator, 
You're answering not on the basis of your presence and senses. You didn't see him create. You're answering on the basis of what he said about how the world came into being and your confidence in what he said. And folks, that's what faith is. God said it, you believe in it. That's biblical faith. And to see more specifically what's involved, take a look, would you please, at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance, or your Bible might say substance, of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. So seeing sight produces convictions about visible things. We size up people and situations on the basis of what we see. So sight is what leads to convictions about visible things. And that means that faith leads to convictions about invisible things. Faith, it says, is the conviction of things not seen. So if sight produces convictions, beliefs about the physical world, then faith is that which produces convictions about the spiritual unseen world. Faith produces convictions and assurance about things that have not yet even happened. So the writer says faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. So a person with faith takes a look at what is, takes a look at present circumstances and concludes in spite of them, I have assurance that what God said will happen, will happen. Faith is not distracted by sight. Faith persists in spite of what your eyes tell you to be true because the eyes of your faith are telling you that what's really true is not what is, but what God said will be. Now, this is a tough concept to get, but that's what biblical faith is. So faith takes as real what has not yet been revealed to the senses. That's what faith is. Not yet revealed to the senses, yet revealed through Scripture. So faith says, I don't see it, but I believe it because God said it. That's a tough thing. We're not born with it. That kind of faith is indeed a gift from God. In fact, it's better. That kind of faith is better than sight because, again, what our eyes tell us to be true could be quite deceiving and distracting. But what God tells us to be true, in spite of what our eyes tell us to be true, if we have faith to believe in what God says and deny even what our senses tell us to be true, that is a gift indeed. So faith in God's word is what gives us convictions about the past, the present, and the future. So with regard to the past, you and I know that God created the world, though none of us were here to see it. Faith has given us that conviction about the past. And with regard to the present, you and I know we are in Christ adopted and forgiven and loved 
and accept it. By faith, we know in the present what he's doing. He's enthroned, and while there, he's interceding on our behalf. Yet we haven't seen it. In spite of the fact that we have not seen it, we believe it. That's faith. And with regard to the future, we know that Christ is coming again. And we know that when he returns, he will rule and reign with righteousness, the likes of which we've never seen. And we know that when he returns, we need not fear his return if we know him as Savior. In fact, we know we will see him face to face without fear and, in fact, rule and reign with him. We, don't, we haven't seen any of those realities, and yet we believe them just as much, if not more, than if we have seen them because we have confidence in what God has said about the future. So this is a simple definition of biblical faith. It is a believer taking God at his word about the past and the present and the future. So it is not necessary for us to see it in order to believe it. No, we believe it because God said it. That's biblical faith. So the writer says faith is the substance or assurance of things hoped for. And you see the word assurance in the language in this was originally written. It's actually two words made into our one word, substance or assurance. And it means to stand and under. That which stands under is a foundation. What the writer is saying is the foundation for believers who want to go on with Christ is to stand under the found, on top of the foundation of faith which has been laid under us to buoy us up even in, the, in, in spite of very, very difficult circumstances. Faith is the foundation upon which a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ stands. And not only that, according to verse 2, by it, faith, men of old gained approval. So if you want to know how to please God, uh, this is very instructive. Men of old doesn't mean elderly men, though it surely could. It meant the biblical heroes and heroines of the faith. Those who are recorded in the Bible, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and Esther and Ruth, all of these special people who we have so much respect for, they, the writer says, gained approval, gained God's favor, not by effort, not by merit, not by works, but by faith. It was faith that gave all of those people, according to this writer, a good standing with God. Not efforts, not works. Each took God at his word. God said it, they believed in it, and responded accordingly. And that is very, very pleasing. How pleasing is it to you for someone not to believe what you say? How pleasing is it to you to have your children or grandchildren not trust you? You would rather have them have confidence in you than anything else, so to God. So this is the basis upon which, if you're wanting to know how to be pleasing to God, this is it. Believe him when he says it. Believe him. But, but, but what if circumstances appear to the contrary? Oh, no, no, no. 
The eyes of faith, that's the foundation upon which we stand. If God said it, in spite of what our eyes tell us to be true, if God said it, that's really the truth, and our faith in it is what we stand on as a firm foundation. Now, the writer in Hebrews, I mentioned this before, is writing to a mixed group. Most are believers, but not all. Some in the group only professed to know the Messiah, Jesus. And so the writer is very concerned because some of those are being tempted to return to Judaism. They're being persecuted for their identification with Christ. They don't know him for sure, but they're identifying with him in some way. But now they're coming under fire and they're saying, I don't like the heat. So some are being tempted to return to the old religion, Judaism. And the writer is saying, this makes no sense because those very people you know about and whom you hold in high esteem, not a one of them won God's favor through Judaism. Not a one of them won God's favor through sacrifices or liturgy or ceremonies or the stuff of religion. Every one of these who you laud and respect Everyone won God's approval by faith in his word. Therefore, why are you on the verge of going back into that which didn't give a one of those people favor with God? And he's trying to encourage them. Instead, take God at his word. Put your faith in him. So when we accept what God has said about the past and the present and the future, And when we live in accord with it, we are living by faith. And when we live by faith, we have God's approval. And so it says in verse 3, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. So by faith in God's word, we know, you and I, that all we see comes from the one whom we have not yet seen. That's faith. We know that all we see comes from the one whom we have not yet visibly seen. By faith, we know he, the creator God, came first because the word of God, which we trust in, says, in the beginning, God. Now, I'll tell you what a number of scientists say. They say, in the beginning, matter. And so matter in the oceans, in the atmosphere, just rather randomly and by chance came together. And the chance admixture of these material elements account for complex things, including us. It wasn't that God was in the beginning. Stuff was in the beginning. And from the stuff, the rest of the stuff developed. Somehow, by accident, stuff bumped into each other. And the universe, in all of its order and systematization, the universe you see through a microscope, the universe you see through a telescope, and you in between, it all came by a chance combination of basic building materials that bumped into each other. That's what a number of people would say. And um, we might even have embraced that scientific uh, point of view. It's not scientific at all, by the way. Uh, but, but, But we're informed, you see, 
by what God's word said about how God's word accounted for everything that was. We read, what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So we know matter did not come first. We know God has come first. God was and matter came into being. We do not worship matter, therefore, <laughs> we worship God. So the world did not start with matter in chance combination. The world was begun by God who spoke it into existence in the power of his word, and that's what it says. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared, notice, by the word of God. And that's why we see this oft-recurring phrase in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God said. So we have confidence in God's word with regard to how, by his word, the world came into existence. We have this kind of faith, and this kind of faith has changed our entire perspective on life, and I'll tell you how. For one, we accept ourselves now as not being God. Uh, uh, prior to this recognition <laughs> that there is a God and we ain't he, we acted like we was he. We chose to be the masters of our own destiny. If it felt good, we did it. We took no consultation from the word of God. We just got all the gusto. We just did it. Free will. I have a right. We exercised our rights. We thought we could do better being on the throne of our lives than God could. So in essence, we dethroned the true God and inserted ourselves on the throne of our lives as if we are God. And we've made a mess of things. <clears throat> but then we came to know this true God and we got informed by his word and found out he came first. We came after. We found out he's the creator and we're the creature. We found out he's the source of our being and it is with him that we have to make do. So we have dethroned self. This is really, really good. We've gotten ourselves off of the throne of our own lives and we are persuaded now that we are not God. That's really, really good. That's why we say, what would Jesus do? We don't say, this is what I want to do, and I don't care what God would have me do. We don't say that anymore. Secondly, we accept the universe as not God. We are grateful for the cosmos in which we live and breathe. We're grateful that we could inhabit it. We're grateful for it. It sustains us and all the rest. And we also want to be good stewards of it, for sure. We're grateful for it, and we want to take care of it. But we don't worship the universe. In fact, we believe the concept of Mother Earth is a fiction. <laughs> there is no personality to Earth. It's inanimate. We believe instead in Father God who created the cosmos. We thank him for it. The earth was formless and void. He spoke into existence everything in it that we need to survive. We're grateful to him, but we are not dethroning him and in place worshiping the earth. 
Folks, this whole green movement is nothing but another man-made religion where we, in essence, consider the world, the earth, to be sacred. I got to tell you something. I love trees. Used to climb them. They bear fruit. Everything's cool about trees, but they don't talk to us. They don't have feelings. They don't do that. No, there's no such thing as Mother Earth, but there is Father God who spoke into existence the cosmos in which we live. So, based upon what God said about how the world came into being, we know, number one, we're not God. Number two, neither is the universe. So, biblical faith, the kind that wins God's approval, is faith that lays hold of what God has said. Now, folks, I'm going to get a little controversial here because it's just my way. If faith is laying hold of what God said, then it is not biblical faith to lay hold of what you think God said. If real faith is to lay hold of what God said, it is not biblical faith to count on what you think God said. So if you or I mishandle, misinterpret what God said in the Bible, and if we count on it being fulfilled in our lives, we may be setting ourselves up for real disappointment because we may be making God say something he never said. So biblical faith is confidence in what God said When we accurately interpret scripture, biblical faith is not taking a stand on what you or I wrongly think it says. So there was a time a wise man named Paul counseled a younger growing Christian named Timothy. We could see what he told him. It's a recommendation that bears repeating today. Paul gave him this word of advice in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said, Timothy, be diligent. Don't be lazy, don't be sloppy, don't be casual, don't be careless. Be diligent. To do what? To present yourself approved to God. Be diligent. Work on this, Timothy. To present, It's going to happen. Be diligent, Timothy, when you stand before God, that you could present yourself as a workman as a craftsman with skill. Timothy, be diligent, work on this. It just doesn't come easily or naturally. There's no shortcuts to it. Timothy, what I'm about to tell you, you gotta work at, do it, because one day you're gonna stand before God, even as a Christian, you're gonna have to give an account to how you handled things. Be diligent, Timothy, to present yourself with skill as a craftsman who does not have cause to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, accurately handling the word of truth. Folks, I think we show disrespect for the word of God when we don't show the same level of diligence Paul exhorted Timothy to show. Study it in context. Learn it. Examine it. Pray over it. Reflect on it. Learn from others who know it. Check out your thinking on it. You can't go through the Bible like it's a Christmas shopping list. A verse here, I like this one, I like that one. 
Though all of the Bible applies to all of us, please don't misunderstand. Some of the verses in the Bible have such a specific application that if you were to apply it to you, you'd end up in really, really, really big trouble. So we keep saying you have to handle the text in context, otherwise you can make big mistakes. So folks, biblical faith is informed faith. It is not you and I at random extracting something from the Bible and saying, God promised me this. Well, first you have to ask, did he promise it to you? What people group is he speaking to? What's the time? What's the circumstances? Folks, when I was in English class, even in high school, we, many of us, took greater pains to handle Shakespeare than many Christians are taking today to handle what Paul calls the word of truth. We've gotten rather sloppy and lazy, in my opinion, and therefore I think we're prone to being deceived by almost anyone who uses a verse of scripture. <laughs> and just on that basis, we put our guards down without making recourse to whether or not that use of scripture is accurate. Is it in context? So I'm not saying this. This is what, let me tell you something else biblical faith is not. I told you this would be controversial. I'll tell you something else that biblical faith is not. It's not faith in the power of your faith. I hear people say, I'm believing God for. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is confidence in the clearly stated word of God accurately handled. If you say, I'm believing God for an outcome you want God to give you, that is not faith in the word of God. That is faith in your ability to twist God's arm, you think you have it, to give you what you want. I know this is controversial, but uh, I think it's true. You know how Christians say, I'm entering into agreement with you about that? You know how Christians say that all the time? Christians say, I'm, a, I'm entering, into, entering into agreement with you. I know you want that job. I'm entering into agreement with you that God will give it to you. And that's taken from Matthew 18. If two or three agree upon anything, folks, why don't you read that in context? You know what it's talking about? Church discipline. If two or three elders, leaders in the church, agree upon a course of action whereby a wayward church member is being brought up for discipline, God authorizes it. God said, I bequeath, I delegate my authority to you, the duly appointed leaders of the church, to set bounds for wayward manner, uh, members. And if two or three of you leaders agree upon a disciplinary course of action, it will be done. I will confirm it. And we Christians have taken that to create some mystical, magical empowerment where we can gang up on God. We just get people to agree with us about something we want, and we think now we have obligated God to his word. No, no, no. That is a mishandling of God's word. Folks, what kind of a God do you worship? I don't need a mob to get my Abba Father's attention, and neither do you. I don't care if you agree with me about something at all. I can go speak to him personally and privately. Jesus made the way. Come on. And if you think your faith 
in general is what obligates God, that's no different than New Age occultism. Biblical faith is simply confidence in the clearly stated, accurately handled word of God. So one time, I was in a receiving line at a church, and a lady whom I knew came by. I told her, I'm praying for your mother. She said, no need. I said, really, is she well now and out of the hospital? She said, no, she's still there, but I will not receive any hint of negative confession about her well-being. I'm believing God for her healing. I was trying to be sensitive and polite, but the word bizarre was, I just couldn't, come on. So she said, I no longer need to pray for her mother's well-being because even in praying, I'm inserting into the mix some negative ingredient, even allowing for the possibility that she still is sick enough to stand in need of prayer. And this poor adult daughter was persuading herself that she has to fight off any insinuation of her mother's persistent affliction because if she doesn't, she's manifesting lack of faith. But that's not faith in what God promised. That's faith in an outcome she's demanding of God. That's the opposite of faith. You know what faith in God is? Faith in God is saying, oh God, I petition you for my mother's health and well-being. Nonetheless, I trust you. Even through this persistent illness, to use it for good because that's how you are. And it could be that the people in the hospital in which my mother is housed need to see her confidence in you. And it could be that in this, my mother and I need incentive to draw nearer to you than ever before. So, oh God, I know what I'd like you to do as great physician. And I know you can do it, but you need not do it. And if you do not heal her, it's only because you have a better idea. That's biblical faith, folks. So biblical faith is not faith in your faith, working real hard on it like this poor young lady. You know what biblical faith is? The opposite. It's not working on your faith. It's resting in God's clearly stated word. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will use all things for the good. If I did not spare my own son, won't I with him freely give you all things? This is the word of God. That's what we put our faith in. Now, let me tell you something else. Biblical faith is not. It's not faith in your words. It's faith in God's words. There's a new book out, and you'll probably buy it. Uh, and the author, well-known naturally, uh, is making the statement that you can determine your future by your thoughts and words about it today. So you're going to speak into existence your destiny. Can I tell you what that is? That is to usurp the prerogative of the creator. Let me tell you something. Your words have no creative capacity. Listen to me. When God said, let there be light, there was. You can say it all you want. It's still going to be dark. <clears throat> Biblical faith is not faith in your confession, your words. Biblical faith is confidence in God's words.
So biblical faith is belief that when God speaks, it will happen. Not when you speak, it will happen. Biblical faith is the assurance that God will fulfill what he said in spite of circumstances to the contrary. Okay. Chapter 11, you know it to be the faith. Sometimes we call it the faith honor roll because the writer lists in it a, a diversity of people who manifested this kind of biblical faith. He prefaces each account with the words, by faith, this one, by faith, that one. It will not get uh, to it uh, tonight, uh, one at a time. Uh, but I want to call your attention to the fact that before the author of Hebrews gives us a specific analysis of what it looks like to live by biblical faith through the lives of all these personalities, I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying that the starting point for our faith is in God as creator. That has to come first. And so the first verse in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, you all know it, is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 3 seems to be indicating that's there as a starting point in the book of beginnings because it must be the starting point. It's the bedrock for all manifestations of biblical faith to come. This, that God is creator, must be the starting point for everything, and I'll tell you why. If God is sovereign Lord of the universe, that is to say everything that is owes its isness to him, the existence of all things in the cosmos, in the creation order is due to the creator. If that's the case, if he is the Lord of all, that means he alone needs no faith. But it means that we all ought to make him the object of our faith. If he's creator and we are, are all created creaturely beings, it means that each of us is obligated to make him the object of our faith. Creatures, us, owe the creator the right response. By the way, when I do evangelism from time to time, I use this as a starting point. I want to get to the Romans road, don't misunderstand, and things like it. But I want to start off with this. How did you get here? How do you explain yourself? Tell me. I'll explain to you how I think I got here. I want to start with the existence of sovereign Lord because that shapes everything else. Because if there is a Lord who is creator of all things, then we, subservient to him, owe him something. And you know what it is? It's a response of faith. It's a response of trust in what he has to say to us. And if we do not manifest to sovereign creator that correct response, that's what the Bible calls sin. And the Bible also tells us there are harsh consequences for sin. Sin brings a penalty. But this creator mighty though he is, is also merciful. And this mighty 
God is not just raw, unbridled power. His power, power to create in the power of his word, which none other but he possesses, is tempered by just as intense mercy. The attribute of God's power and might needs to be held in tension with the counterbalancing attribute of his mercy, meaning he won't use his power against us to hurt, to abuse, to exploit, to toy with, and to pain. No. His might is bounded by the kind intentions of his merciful heart by which the creator worked out a plan so that we who have not rendered faith to him, we've not trusted him, we've not yielded to him, we've not looked to his word and staked our lives on it, but this mighty yet merciful creator has worked out a plan whereby we, the sinner, could be saved from the penalty of our sin through Christmas, the birth of his own son. That is mercy. Folks, I close with this. There's only two options. Where do you stand with the creator? Let's make that the starting point. Where do you stand with the creator? I have to tell you something. If you do not know him as savior, then you will be obligated to stand before him as judge. Don't do that. Don't do that. Know this about the creator. He made the universe hospitable to us because we are the crown of his creation. He made us unlike rocks and trees, which we foolish people now make the objects of our worship. He made us to be distinct. He made us, in fact, to be in his image. He gave us resources and equipment which trees and rocks and animals do not possess. It's the kind of equipment that enables us to have communion with him, a mind to think about him, a heart to have affection for him, and a will to obey him. No other ingredients in the creation order are equipped with these magnificent properties, and they're all designed to enable communion with him. Oh, how he loves you and me. He didn't come to embrace rocks and trees. He made rocks and trees to serve our best interest. He came to make it possible for us to be embraced by him. And we established the barrier because we said to creator, I will be the master of my own destiny. We who can't create anything, we can't call into existence what is not but God did through what was not, and we instead have foisted ourselves up to his level and beyond, and now we do our own thing. I'm free. If it feels good, do it. Get all the gusto and all that kind of stuff. And this mighty creator who could have snuffed us all out said, oh, no. He said, I'll give you Christmas. I'll birth salvation. <laughs> through a savior, a son, so that you can be a son or a daughter, so that you can know me now as savior and not have to fear me as judge. I beseech you, I don't know of any better time than the 
beginnings of the Christmas season to realize hope is born. <laughs> hope is born. And the hope is Jesus Christ. Where do you stand with his father? Lord Jesus, we uh, utter our remarks to you for we, with eyes of faith, see you high and lifted up, resurrected and ascended, having won victory over an excruciating death, seated at the right hand of the Father, enthroned, guiding, orchestrating, sustaining, and in due season coming again. We see this. Most of us would die for these truths, though we do not yet see their fulfillment. Isn't that marvelous? Thank you for birthing faith, biblical faith, confidence in your word in our hearts. And oh God, it is our prayer that you would birth that kind of faith in the lives of the one, the two, the more here who have not yet seen your birth in coming to be the means by which new life can be birthed in them. Lord Jesus, you came born as a babe to grow, to live, to suffer, to die, to rise up from death. All this as a substitute for our sin. And I pray, oh God, you might give that kind of faith to some here even tonight to confidently trust in your provision and promise to save anyone who by faith calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, for I have sinned. Change me from the inside out. Put a new Christmas song in my mouth, sung to you now and then through the eyes of faith through all eternity. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.